0: I can tell you that there are officers who've been seriously injured in line of duty and then fired because they got injured.
1: Welcome to episode number 34 on the My Story Podcast. On the My Story Podcast, we feature interviews with leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs who tell their story in the life lessons they've learned along the way. Hi, I'm Conrad Weaver, your host for the show. The stress that comes from being a law enforcement officer can be fatal. More officers will die from suicide this year than from physical injuries sustained in the light of duty. And often officers wounded while on duty are fired, dismissed, or abandoned by their agencies. Randy Sutton experienced this firsthand and decided to do something about it.
0: I cannot tell you. The number of officers who have told me, Randy, I'm not scared of the the street. I'm not scared of the bad guys. I'm scared of my own bosses. So therefore, the officers, even if they know that they need help, are scared to death in many cases to seek it.
1: You'll hear his story today on the My Story podcast. Hey, if you have a story to tell, I would love to work with you to bring it to the world. Whether it's a business story or a personal story, if you have something to say that the world needs to hear, my purpose is to help you tell your story. We would love to work with you to produce a documentary or podcast to get your message to the world. Send me an email at conrad at and let's work together to share your message and change the world. And now, here's my interview with Randy Sutton. So, Randy, welcome to the My Story podcast. Glad you could jump in today and, and join me on the show. My pleasure.
0: Thanks for, thanks for having me, Conrad.
1: So, to, uh, so tell me a little bit about who you are and, and how you've gotten to where you are today.
0: Well, it's been a long Circuitous route. I can tell you that. Uh, I, I uh, was a, a law enforcement officer for 34 years. I spent 10 years as a cop in Princeton, New Jersey. I started there when I was very young and then spent 10 years. Princeton's a very small town. We had 30 cops and uh, I got bored, quite honestly. Uh, and then left and joined the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department where I wasn't bored. And spent 24 years with that agency, retiring at the rank of lieutenant. It's a pretty big agency, oh. right? A big agency. It's the ninth largest department in the country, hmm. and it's a it's a very unique place to police. And sure. uh, it was it was a really I mean I don't look back with any regrets at all about my decisions joining the department. It was a challenging place to work. Uh, very busy organization. Very busy criminally. Hmm. So you know I. I spent uh, I spent most of my time on the streets. I only had one admin assignment during my entire career and uh, never looked back on those decisions. But along the way, I did some other things too. Yeah. What, um, uh,
1: let's back up a little bit. What made you decide to become a police officer?
0: You know, I, I consider myself very fortunate because I knew what I wanted to be when I was a little guy. Uh, mm-hmm. My grandfather was a deputy sheriff who was shot in the line of duty uh he survived it but he but he uh he had a uh he had a shotgun scar in his stomach wow. when uh he was shot um my parents were both court reporters so i grew up listening to the tales of 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 crime and uh and at the same time i you know i think sometimes you people are high, hardwired to do certain things and be certain things Mm-hmm. I was always a protector. Um, I always believed in in protecting those who couldn't protect themselves. Even when I was a little kid, it was a natural progression for me, and I I knew what I wanted to be. I I actually was hired as a cadet for the Princeton Police Department when I was uh, sixteen, oh, wow. and um, and and from that became a police a a. a, a full police officer when I was 19, I was the youngest cop in the state wow. of New Jersey at the time. And it was it was kind of funny. So I became a cop. They had just changed the age of majority from 21 to 18 and for a brief window, you could become a cop. They figured out a little later on that it's not such, such a great <laughs> idea to not
2: be, a good idea. <laughs>
0: be given guns and badges as 19 year olds, right? So, so uh, I could drink and I could vote, but I couldn't buy ammunition because you got to be 21 by federal law. <laughs> So I had to have my mother buy my bullets for me when I went into the police Academy It was something she never let me forget. When I, when I joined Las Vegas Metro PD, it was 1989. It was the second season of the TV show cops. And they chose me to be on that show and they got a lot of really good footage with me. So I was one of the most featured officers on the show in 90 in 89, 94, 96. And from that, Um, I get a phone call one day in the early nineties from a casting agent who said, uh, Hey, there's going to be a movie filmed in Las Vegas. And the director wants realism in the part of a police officer. Would you come down to an audition? Hmm. I said, yeah, sure. So I go to the old Riviera hotel and I go up to a suite up there and who's standing there, but Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese. And the film (laughs) was the movie Casino. Okay. And, uh, and I wound up getting the part and that began my, my, my film career, if you, if you <laughs> want to call it that, but I've been in a bunch of movies and TV shows and mm-hmm. such
1: Did um, being on the show cops, did it change how you did law enforcement and, and how you worked?
0: No, not at all. All they did was throw a camera crew in the car with me, a, a sound man and a cameraman mic me up and whatever happened, happened. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was, uh. I wasn't intimidated by the camera and didn't, you know, it was, it made no difference to me, whatever, whatever I did, you know, they, they saw it just happened to be that they got a lot of great footage. Right. Um, I but, remember that uh, show
1: from early on. I remember it was, it was really kind of groundbreaking in a way, you know, here they're following the, these live action, you know, yeah. cops out on the street and it was amazing.
0: Well, you know, the backstory behind that, that it was the first reality show. Mm-hmm. And the the guys who who uh, came up with that idea, uh, John Langley and Malcolm Barber, they tried to sell that that show for to everybody, <laughs> all the networks. They all turned them down, saying that ah, it'll never work. Police will never cooperate with you. One of the guys was actually living in his car because he was they were so broke because they couldn't sell this show concept. And then you'll remember that in the late '80s cable television came into being right and so they sold it to fox and the rest is history hmm.
1: and it was it's been one of the longest running shows uh i mean how long how many how, how many seasons did it run do you, do you remember i think it's
0: still running is it still running pretty, i pretty yeah i think it is because i did a last year i did a um like a 25 year or 30 year anniversary show with them yeah that's amazing
1: and i guess you know today we have live pd that sort of is live it's not exactly live but it's uh more live than cops right yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah so um so what does what does being a police officer how does it impact your your thinking your thought processes
0: well um to me law enforcement was not just a job it was it was a calling it was something that um I believed in deeply then and I believe in deeply now that there are uh, there are those in society who are predators and there are the vast majority of society are just innocents caught up in a, you know, just trying to get their, do their, their, their life. Um, and there are people who would hurt them, harm them, steal from them, uh, rape them, every manner of, of of crime and, and, and the dirty deed. And if there aren't protectors among them, this society devolves into, into anarchy. Hmm. So in my estimation, the law enforcement profession is one that is, is absolutely necessary needed and is also an almost impossible job to ask people to do. Hmm. Uh, it is, it is a, you know, a lot of folks think that, you know, we used to call them knuckle draggers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the, the big beefy cop who kicks somebody's ass and, and you know, that's, that's the end of it, right? Mm-hmm. Policing is a very cerebral uh, profession. It's a very cerebral job. Um, it's about thinking. It's about communicating. This is it in order to be the most effective.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and, and if you actually look at the challenges, physical, emotional, mental, there is so much to this to this job and in in a lot of areas of this country they are paid garbage uh, they're they're put their lives on the line for next to nothing and then um, they are un- very underappreciated uh, in in almost all over this country so
1: and then in recent years you have you know some movements that have fought against cops and,
0: and oh kind of in a, in a major, in a major way. Well, we had a president of the United States who despised the police and, uh, and, and let it be known. And that, that was actually one of the major milestones of law enforcement, uh, was, uh, was how law enforcement was affected by that.
1: Mm-hmm. What, uh, so as you move through the ranks and you, I mean, you've probably seen a lot of stuff
0: and, and how did that
1: affect your, your mental health?
0: There were some very dark times. Very dark times. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a survivor as far as law enforcement combat. Uh, I've been in multiple um, shooting incidents. Um, some pretty hairy ones. Uh, ones one that, that I really should not, by all rights, have survived. And I did. And it, uh, it, it changed me. Um, it changed me deeply. When you're face to face with somebody and you're looking in his eyes as he's trying to kill you, thinking that this is the end of your your life, and then you're given a respite and you survive it, it changes the way you view life. Now there is post-traumatic stress injury, there's post-traumatic stress disorder, but there's also post-traumatic stress growth.
1: And what do you mean by that?
0: I fully believe that that surviving that gunfight that I did, that particular one, made me a better person, made me a better cop, let me see the world in a different, through a different lens, and allowed me to to grow as a human being because of that experience. And so, um, and, and, and in the ensuing years, as I have morphed into uh, who I am now, that is as as the um, CEO and founder of the Wounded Blue, which is the National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement, I've interacted with hundreds and hundreds of police officers who have experienced trauma. And I have seen it run the entire gamut from it devastating them emotionally and mentally to it making them uh, a far better human being in their own estimation, so post traumatic stress growth is very real as well it's not something you hear much about but it and is I was going to say it,
1: this is the first time i've heard of it it
0: like that it's a it's a uh, it's a very real part of 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 a, of a police experience you know there's there's devastating things that you see i mean listen i i got to be perfectly up front here. <laughs> Uh, I re- there was a time I remember it very distinctly, where there was a bottle of scotch in front of me in my forty-five, and there were some very dark places that I was going. So I I have seen I've seen both sides, mm-hmm. and I understand it that that there are a lot of challenges because of because the job is is such that. You're literally on the front lines of every human behavior. Mm-hmm. You, you you view death constantly. I've, I've probably seen over a 1,000 dead people in my career. Mm-hmm. Violent death. I've seen every every horrendous thing that a person could do to another person. A cop sees. Now, in small towns, it doesn't come, as, come at you as fast, mm-hmm. but you're going to see it and sometime during your career you're going to see the worst that humanity has and you know you don't want to believe that we we grow up in a in a in a world that you know you don't want to think that that really happens and when you find the reality um it it can it can have a a strong detrimental effect um, on your psyche so do you think that just
1: about every police officer has it has some kind of effect or are there some people who Maybe it it kind of bounces off more than others, and and why?
0: And that, that's a really interesting question. And the answer to that is that you can have two people standing side by side, two cops experiencing exactly the same circumstances, and one will be devastated by it, and the other will take it in stride and and not be and not be harmed by it. And both of those are normal. That's, that's the interesting thing about post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. is that the reactions are normal for you. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the biggest concepts that we as, as uh, my organization, as peer team members, when we talk to people who have experienced deep trauma, that's one of the things that, that actually lifts them up understanding that that reaction, even though it may be painful, is normal. it's their normal hmm.
1: And I guess that comes out of your own personal experience and background and DNA and everything else that makes you right
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, no one grows up exactly the same. we, uh, we all have triggers. Um, it's interesting because since I've been become so involved, in this world of, of of trauma i've i've come to understand and get a lot of different perspectives on it from from people that you know have experienced uh, all, all kinds of things and also from the quote you know the the experts and i got to tell you this if, if nobody is really an expert on post traumatic stress there's just everybody's got an opinion about it, and there's those that have studied it and understand it a little more, but it's um, it is still a it is still a um, a concept that is very much in play as far as understanding it and dealing with it. Mm-hmm.
1: I know a lot of films have been made, a lot of research and study have been made about returning vets and their the trauma that most of them have experienced and how in your experience how would that be different or the same than what a law enforcement officer would face
0: the combat vets that have uh, that have returned and and developed post-traumatic stress injury or post-traumatic stress disorder um in fact, let me make let me i refer to it as post-traumatic stress injury for a reason mm-hmm. because just like a physical injury um you can you can be emotionally injured as well but it doesn't need to be a disorder. In fact, it's, that's a misnomer in most cases. Mm -hmm. Post-traumatic stress injury um, is sometimes termed a disorder because it has a a really serious detrimental effect on, on some people, but it doesn't have to become a disorder if it's treated and it's understood and it's dealt with. Mm -hmm. The problem is so often it is suppressed because everybody feels very alone in in these feelings when they when they are when they do have post traumatic traumatic stress injury they feel alone and so they they hide it and they don't they they cover it up and they they don't deal with it head on that's one of the biggest factors that we have to we have to do as a profession is 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 deal with this situation head on and and not sugarcoat it and and not just take it out of the closet it's real. It's 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 okay. It's okay to be to be injured by the stre by the traumas that you see and you feel. You just deal with them, and you can you can not only be be uh, normalized, but you can actually become uh, a more complete human being. Combat veterans they deal with um, in most cases somebody that serves a tour or two tours. They deal with very intense traumatic situations or in combat, they may take a life, they may, you know, they're in danger all the time. So that's, that, that, that affects their psyche. Um, and it may be one particular incident or it may be a combination of, you know, the years that they serve that affects them with a law enforcement officer. It, it is that plus it is the long term, mm-hmm. you know, you spend 20 years as a cop, 25 years mm-hmm. as a cop. It's like your, your, your you're cup, you know, every day you get a little drip of trauma. And sometime during your career, it it, it spills over. Mm. And that's, I mean, I can, in, in retrospect, as I look back through my, the latter part of my career, I realized that my cup had become full. I, you know, you got to be very stoic as a police officer. People look at you and, and this is part of the, the whole, the whole, Um, Trauma situation is that you have to be everything to all people and especially you have to be strength You have to be stoic. I mean, I you you can't show weakness. You can't show fear and And that's abnormal really for a human (laughs) being right so When your cup fills up That's when That's when you start realizing that you got that you have a problem. I remember, I remember a, a horrible suicide of a of a young man. This is during the latter part of my career when I was a lieutenant, and uh, I had I had been on the scene as a supervisor and, and witnessed it and dealt with the family and such. And um, I was as stoic as could be till I got back out in my patrol car, and then I parked around the corner and I just sobbed, and I realized that that. Um, Emotionally, um, I had to, I had to change things. I had to realize that, 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 my time had come, that this wasn't, this wasn't a burden that I could handle uh, anymore without, without help.
1: So where, was there help available? And in, in today's average police, you know, <laughs> in precinct, are, is there help available?
0: Okay. The, the answer to that question is yes, there is the, second part of that answer is will they accept it in the form that it is available so you got to understand that there's 18,000 different police agencies in this country 18,000 80% of them have less than 20 police officers they don't have peer support programs in most of those and if they do they don't they're not necessarily effective because there is there, Everybody knows everybody's business there. Hmm. So to be a peer team member in a 20-man department, you can have the best intentions, but there, there has to be a deep level of trust. And there, even the departments, the larger departments that do it, that really make an effort to do it right with, with, with strong peer support teams and, 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 and uh, easy access to treatment for uh, depression and post-traumatic stress there is a strong distrust by rank- and file officers of their administrations hmm. and it's based on a lot of reality I, I know personally on many occasions that a police officer can go in and ask for help and the chief will fire really oh absolutely they'll say oh. you're you're a, you're, a, you're a, <laughs> a detriment to the department now You can't be trusted you have psychological issues you're fired Wow. Happens all the time. So, or they'll get put on modified duty. They'll take their gun and their badge, and they'll make them, pe- you know, count paper clips. Um, so there's there's there is stigma attached to it. There is distrust, and in many cases, for very good reason. So therefore, the officers, even if they know that they need help, are scared to death in many cases to seek it. Hmm. And and that's something that my organization is now dealing with head on. We've just created a program called Code for Total Wellness, which outside of the agencies, people come to us because I have a peer team made up of cops who everyone has been shot, stead, beaten, run over, screwed up and screwed over. And we deal with those injury injured police officers every single day in just one year. We've touched the lives of almost 4,000. Wow! Police officers, mm. which is astounding, astounding number. Mm. So we've created this program so officers can reach out and get the help that they need with MDS and psychologists mm-hmm. from the privacy of their own homes, so the departments will never know about it. Mm-hmm. Mm. So we're de- we're combating this.
1: You're doing that, so so officers can get help. When they're not willing or maybe they can't reach out to their their own you know superiors or people in their in their department,
0: yes, yeah, I mean listen the almost every police agency has i mean you, you're you're covered by insurance mm-hmm. so that insurance always you you know has a mental health component as well, so the path is there, but the path is often blocked by stigma by uh, fear of retaliation, of fear of consequences. So it's not as easy as it sounds. And believe me, I've heard I've heard this from from administrators and 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 high level people. Well, we have it available for them. If they don't take it, well, oh, that's on them. And that's the attitude that really screws mm. people up.
1: And that that shouldn't be right. That should be no. It shouldn't be. I mean, leadership should take charge and, and should take that responsibility of saying, "Hey, we." we're going to give this to our officers or to our people because they need it.
0: That and the unfortunate reality is that post-traumatic stress injury is often caused by the administrations, Hmm. which is, which is a very sad fact. Uh, I can't tell you, I cannot tell you the number of officers who have told me, Randy, I'm not scared of the, of the street. I'm not scared of the bad guys. I'm scared of my own bosses. Wow. And, and this is, you know, I've, I've, I've been an instructor in law enforcement leadership for decades. I've seen, I've seen some of the best leaders and I've seen some of the worst leaders. And, um, and we can learn from both. But leadership is one of those major components when it comes down to post-traumatic stress. Can you imagine being a police officer, getting shot in the line of duty, and your chief not even coming to visit you in the hospital.
1: That's, that, that's just terrible in my
0: opinion. It happens. And I can tell you this, I can tell you that there are officers who've been seriously injured in line of duty and then fired because they got injured. It's happening right now today.
1: That's crazy.
0: It's crazy. It is. Nobody can believe it. This is, this is why I created a documentary film that we did, the wounded blue mm-hmm. service sacrifice betrayed.
1: Which is an amazing film. I watched it last week
0: and just the stories there really make you angry. They make you angry. Bring your tissues, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and those are just, that's a handful of stories. Mm-hmm. That's a handful of stories, Conrad. We have a serious fight on our hands. What, we have a serious fight.
1: What's going to need to happen to change that mentality with leadership?
0: What's going to have to change is there going to have to be consequences for those leaders who fail their people right now there are no there are no consequences leadership can do whatever the hell they want to do until they're held accountable by some body then this is going to continue now let me tell you there're just on the opposite side of that there are great leaders out there there are people that really care that that go the extra mile that that when someone is is injured either physically or emotionally they they will move heaven and earth for their people
1: so what what was your deciding factor to uh, to step away from law enforcement you kind of said kind of mentioned that a little bit but what was that uh, final okay this is what's making me i've, I've got a you know your lieutenant and you've served your time what 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 made that decision
0: uh something way outside of my of my uh, desires um, I did not intend to retire when I did, even though I I did 34 years. I had a good run. I had 24 years with Las Vegas Police Department. Uh, but I had a stroke in my police car. Oh, wow. And that stroke ended my career. It almost ended my life. Hmm. But uh, there was a lot of stress in my life at the time. I, my mother had just died in my arms three weeks before. Hmm. Um, I had been involved in a, a fatal shooting a couple months before. So there was a lot of stuff happening, but they discovered that, I, that, the, that the reason it happened was because of an, of, I had a, a severe heart ailment that I didn't know that I had. Mm. That was a life changing. I mean, think of it. I go to work with my plans, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put in 30 years and I'm going to retire and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And suddenly one night it's ripped away from you mm. and you no longer have a job. You no longer have a career. I lost my mother, so I didn't have a family anymore. So there was all this, all this, uh, you know, monumental change. Hmm. But here's the thing. Post-traumatic stress growth. It changed my life, changed my mission. Hmm. But it actually created a path that I believe now was meant to be, was ordained, if you will. I'm I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I'm not a real believer in organized religion, but I do believe that their purpose is laid out for us. Mm -hmm. And that purpose led to where I am today, still serving, but serving the men and women that I respect the most in this world. And that is the American law enforcement officer.
2: Mm.
1: So you took that That tragedy, if you will, of a stroke and of losing your mother and some of the experiences you had, and you turned that on its head and use that as motivation to get to where you are today.
0: Well, yes, what happened was in addition to that, all that stuff, the doctor told me that I should prepare for my own death, which is not what I expected to hear. Wow. And, and I thought, you know, what's going to be my legacy? Hmm. How am I going to be remembered? And so that led me to a, a, um, a, a path for growth and discovery. And I, I, I was trying to figure out now, I, I'd already written three books by this time, hmm. all police books, hmm. True Blue, Police Stories by Those Who Have Lived Them, A Cop's Life, and True Blue to Protect and Serve. And I knew that in my mind, there was another book in me that was going to be my legacy, if you will. And so I'm trying to figure it out. And one day I'm watching uh, an interview on television with Mr. Frank Shankwitz. Frank, you might not know the name because it's not a household name, but what he did is a household name. He created the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Mm. And he created the Make-A-Wish Foundation when he was an Arizona state trooper. Oh, wow. And mm. spent 40 years as a police officer. So I was I was mesmerized by his story of why he created Make-A-Wish. It came from trauma. It came from heartache and heartbreak. And I said, it was that's when the light bulb went off. And I said, I got it. I want to talk to people like him and find out who it was that instilled in these people that have done amazing things with their lives about who they're, Personal heroes were. Personal heroes that inspired them to do the things that they did. And that's what I did. That was my journey. I traveled the country. First guy I talked to was Frank Jankwitz, who, by the way, has become my very close friend and it actually sits on the board of the wounded blue.
1: Oh wow. That's
0: that's, that's the way the path works. Hmm. And I, I went around the country, I talked to people who've done amazing things with their lives about who their personal heroes were In the book that I wrote. It's called The Power of Legacy, mm-hmm. Personal Heroes of America's Most Inspiring People. And that book changed my life mm-hmm. because I realized that from trauma can come greatness, can come touching the lives of millions. And if you grasp that and you accept it, you can become a better person yourself. And so that created a different path for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And how long ago was that? With that, that, when you wrote that book, two
0: thousand and ten.
1: Okay, and then you started the. Uh, the, well, the, the book Wounded didn't Blue. come out.
0: Two thousand twelve, but okay. I yeah. began that journey. Sure. Um, because I, 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 I had the stroke in two. The latter part of two thousand nine retired in two thousand
2: ten. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, then, just I guess a little over a year ago, you started the Wounded Blue
0: Foundation, right? Well, I started the concept of the Wounded Blue almost five years ago. And once again, the path, this was not something I intended to do. But because of my visibility in the law enforcement community, because I've been a trainer, I've trained tens of thousands of cops in a a concept called policing with honor. It's a a presentation that I put together about surviving your career ethically. And I trained cops all over the country. Plus my books and the movies and the TV shows I've been in. And then I I also have a radio show called Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. So because of my visibility out there, cops started reaching out to me. People that I didn't know, but out of desperation, just because I was visible, said, Randy, I got shot. My chief never came to visit me in the hospital. They're not paying my medical bills. Oh, I I should say, because this was a very significant part of the. When I had the stroke, my department turned its back on me. Hmm. They didn't pay my medical bills.
1: They knew they had so to. Did you just have insurance
0: and didn't you have coverage for? for... I, it's, a, it's a workers' compensation injury. So the department just said, no, no, we're not paying. They, I mean, they literally ruined my credit. I had bill collectors knocking on my door. And they knew they were legal, obli- legally obligated, but they just hmm. didn't do it. I had to go to court to make them pay. And so they, they did. How can they get away with
1: that. I mean, how can, cause, cause they, that's kind they of. Get
0: away with it because, because there is no, there are no consequences for them not mm-hmm. doing it. So the, why is this significant? It's because I came to find out later that the way I was treated, cops are being treated like that all over the country, even when the injury is a bullet. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're in New York, you're going to get good medical treatment. You're going to mm-hmm. get, and the department has mechanisms in place to take care of you financially, and in other places as well. But there's a ton of places in this country where you get shot or you get stabbed or run over and you can't work anymore, they'll throw you away. And that's, what, that's the communications that people started reaching out to me. And I said, wait a minute, there's gotta be a resource for these men and women. And I searched and searched and searched and realized, there is no national resource for these men and women. Hmm. And so I developed the, the concept of the wounded blue and we actually did launch. We're one year from this week. As a matter really? of fact, we launched one year. Wow. And, uh, but it's been a, it's been a hell of a journey. Um, and a hell of a challenge, even getting police officers to understand the realities that they face. They don't even know. Just like I didn't know. I spent 20, 34 years as a cop. The last thing I expected was for my department to turn its back on me and not pay my medical bills. Mm -hmm. That leads to trauma because it leads to disappointment and a, and a, a belief system that you have suddenly crumbles before you.
1: So you wonder how many officers who go through that and their department kind of throws them away. How many of those officers then go on to, you know,
0: die by suicide? Exactly. Exactly. You hit it right on the head. This is exactly what's happening. I can't. It's uncountable the number of police officers who have told me, Randy, I wish I died that night. At least my family would be taken care of. Hmm. It, those are the most heartbreaking words I can imagine, and I hear them all the time. And my this, peer team, and,
1: and this is—I mean—police officers around the country. They're they're putting their lives on the line every day to serve our communities, and yet. The communities don't know that if you get injured on the job many times you have no recourse. You, you, have, you have nothing.
0: No, they, nobody knows. Even, like I said, even cops don't know it until it happens to them. That's why creating awareness about this topic is, is so important, but it's also incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult.
1: Do you get, do you get kickback? I mean, you get uh, you know, pushback from agencies?
0: Hell yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. There's there are police administrators that view me as the enemy.
2: Hmm.
0: And that's that's too bad because I'm really an ally. If they'll just open their minds and their hearts and their checkbooks and do the right thing. We are a resource. The wounded blue is a resource for every police agency in this country. Because we owe allegiance to no one except the officer themselves. Hmm. And that's what makes us so unique. And believe me, there's agencies that embrace it too. I just had a, a meeting with the United States Attorney here in Nevada where they had heard about the Wounded Blue and reached out and they said, how can we help you? And I said, well, we're a resource for your, for your people, for your investigators, for the police officers in this area. And they embraced it. They got it. They said, we want to help. We want to help you spread that word. That's the kind of thing that we need to do. See, the profession of law enforcement needs to unite. We need to, we are so fragmented. 18,000 different police agencies, 18,000 different police chiefs, 18,000 different administrations. Everybody thinking along their their own selfish lines for their own agency. It's normal, I get it, I understand it. But we as a profession, we as a profession need to unite. And we need to build strength through numbers, and not allow, not allow the the injustices that are, that are that are occurring now to our men and women who are actually working the street.
1: So, how does the FOP play a role in this then? What's their response?
0: The FOP is the largest police union in the country. They uh, are now actually looking very seriously at this problem. I've. Spoken to a number of people there, they're starting to they're starting to get it. Uh, there was a, a change in leadership with the FOP this last year. Mm-hmm. And it's a big ship. They think they have about three hundred fifty thousand members. Uh, so they're they're a major player in this, and they're they are starting to take this really seriously. Put programs into place to assist those officers, and um, so there there is there there are some there are some strong indicators that uh, this topic is now, being, is now being dealt with head on. Uh, most of this regarding emotional injury, hmm. the physical injuries are still in, in many cases, uh, just simply um, ignored.
1: Hmm. That's, that's, that's really hard to fathom.
0: It's really, it is hard to fathom. And, and you know, and this is one of the problems with actually raising money for, for our charity. People simply look at me in disbelief and, and say, wait a minute, if a police officer gets shot, they're going to be taken care of. They're going to get a great pension all their medical bills are going to be paid. And in some places that's true, but in many places it ain't it's true.
1: Not. It's not. So looking back over your career, what, is, what would you say is one of the, your favorite memories as a police
0: officer? That's an easy one. That's, that is really an easy one. Um, I think I had a, uh, a life changing experience while on patrol. I was a patrol sergeant at the time. I, uh, was working night shift and I came upon a, a scene, a crime scene. Uh, there was a car up on the side of the road. People are running around screaming. There's bullet holes in the car. And so I radioed for assistance. I had no idea what, what I was walking into. Um, and as I get out, I hear somebody scream, oh my God, the baby has been shot. Mm. And I, I look and down on the, on the ground is a, is a little baby seat, infant seat. And there's a little one month old girl who's been shot in the face. Mm. Um, it turned out, we found out later that there was a gang initiation where these gang punks pulled up to a, a, a car that had nothing to do with anything and just opened fire on it. It was a mom and dad and a little baby in the backseat. And uh, one of the bullets hit the baby in the face. Mm. The protocol is to call for an ambulance, but the baby stopped breathing. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't wait for the ambulance. And I scooped her up and I, the first patrol car they got there, I said, get me to the hospital. Radio we're bringing in a baby that's stopped breathing. And when the, the bullet hit her face, It did so much damage that all the tissue and stuff went down in her throat and choked her.
2: Mm.
0: Um, But I was able to clear that and give her mouth to mouth and bring her back. And because I was there literally within minutes, no brain damage, which is really an unusual set of circumstances for an injury like this. And we got to the hospital, I handed her off like a football. Trauma doctors and nurses did a tremendous job to save the baby's life. Mm. That's the difference that you can make in a person's life when you're a cop.
1: That's got to be the rewarding part of it, right? It is. Yeah. speaking of, you know, cops that are struggling with trauma and dealing with some of those issues in their life, do you think perhaps that's why we have cops that end up on the evening news because it's a bad shooting or a bad situation or they're beating up somebody because they haven't dealt with some of the stuff in their own own mind or in,
0: in their own life? there there is very little doubt in my mind that the that the effects of post traumatic stress injury can lead to aggressiveness over aggressiveness inappropriate re- responses to uh, to stimuli to the the things that they're experiencing and uh, and also lead to heavy handedness um, misconduct police overuse of force I, yeah these factors actually without a shadow of a doubt play into that and that's why it's so critical that that we that we deal with the these issues because it saves careers not only does it save lives when you when you when you treat post-traumatic stress injury you save careers you save marriages because there's so much going on that it has such a uh, can have such a a detrimental, devastating effect on the officer if it's not dealt with. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it it absolutely it absolutely, um, it absolutely uh, plays a role in in, um, in in overuse of force.
1: You know, I wonder sometimes the the issues that some agencies you know will say is that well, it costs too much money to provide these services. But if you look at it, how much money does it cost to recruit new people?
0: You, we're facing law enforcement profession is facing um, challenges like they never have before, and that includes recruitment and retention. Uh, it's down, I think, about sixty percent around the country. Mm-hmm. That's when you lower the, the number of people that are willing to do the job and actually make an effort to, to take the job. Then the 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 pool, mm-hmm. you know, dries up, and then what does what do agencies do? they lower their standards yeah which which increases the problem yeah so yeah this is it, there's a we haven't even hit hit the the bottom here when it comes down to this because let me tell you this little anecdote on my radio show Blue Lives Radio the voice of American law enforcement each week comes out once a week it's a live talk radio and also a podcast and i memorialize those officers who have died in the line of duty that week so I was reading I read the name of, a, of an officer who'd been killed he was a 25 year veteran killed in Pennsylvania he was basically ambushed walking up on domestic and and a week later I get a I get a message from one of his coworkers, and he says Randy you probably don't know this but he was making nine dollars 28 cents an hour when he was killed what and I said that's what I said wait <laughs> what I actually called the police chief and I said who I was. And I said, I'm, I didn't need to verify something. I was told that this officer was making $9 and 28 cents an hour at the time that he was killed. The chief hung up on me, the chief hung up on me. It wow. was absolutely true. We're paying some of our cops $9 and 28 cents that's an hour.
1: Barely minimum wage. I mean, barely was, over minimum yeah. wage. I mean, that's crazy. It's crazy. And 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 we expect them to carry a gun, wear a badge, and go out there and solve other people's worst days.
0: That's right. That's right. Now, let me tell you, there's, a, there's also police officers in Suffolk County, New York, making $145,000. So it's not sure. – there's this huge disparity. But the average cop makes $50,000 a year. Hmm. That's the average. Wow. I know a ton of cops making $30,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And they're you know and they they have to work two jobs they have to take every extra job, every security job to put food on the table that mm-hmm. adds stress mm-hmm.
1: So in my podcast, uh, I have a couple questions that I like to ask everyone uh, the, the first one is what influences your decisions daily? what's those what are those things that are the guiding principles in your life and that that kind of guide you daily?
0: I think the most significant, factors in my decision-making throughout the day is what impact am I going to have today? Whose life can I touch today? How can I help? That's, that is pretty much the guiding principle of my life. My, I call them legacy moments. Uh, because I am a deep believer in legacy I, there's a, there's a philosophy that, that I developed. I don't know if, if I created it or if I just heard it somewhere, but I sincerely believe that you cannot control your destiny, but you can create your legacy. Hmm. And those thoughts of legacy are how I, how I go through my, my day and my life.
1: Boy, I like that, that's really good. What are some of the biggest challenges that you face this year?
0: The biggest challenges that I'm facing is, is funding my organization. That's really, that, that is on my mind every single day, every single moment is how am I gonna come up with the money to provide our programs and continue to touch lives? It has been, it has been the biggest challenge that I've ever faced. And uh, it's an uphill battle every single day uh, to get donors, to get people um, support from, from corporations, from uh, citizens, even from the police. And it's, it's. I gotta tell you, it's, uh, it's fr- not only frustrating, but it's uh, depressing. Hmm. It really is. I, I, the need is so great, and the work that, that my peer team is doing is so important, and they're doing such amazing work. I couldn't be prouder of the people that, and they're all volunteers. Hmm. You know, they they many of them are disabled, mm-hmm. and and had you know experienced the the traumas themselves, the physical and emotional traumas, and they are willing to put in hours and hours every week helping their fellow officers. Uh, you can't ask for anything better than that. I, mm-hmm. uh, I like I said, I the, there are, there are angels among us, and mm-hmm. those are the those are some of my peer team.
1: In, in your work, you've, uh, you have the, 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 the Wounded Blue uh, organization, you have a Wounded Blue documentary, and now, you're, now you've launched a web series.
0: Right. It's called Voices of the Blue, and it's uh, on uh, Wounded Blue TV on YouTube. Um, it's a six-part series, and um, it it's continues similarly to what we produced in a documentary, but a little bit different much, much shorter episodes, because I think the unfortunate reality is that, you know, people can only, can only be entertained for, or be, you know, focused on, on, on entertainment for a short period of time. So we created these much shorter episodes. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, that's, well, I want to say congratulations to all you've done and, and what you're doing for police officers. And I know, that your organization is actually working with uh, one of my friends who's a police officer and going through some difficult times. And so I want to say thank you for your service. Thank you for the work that you do and are continuing to do uh, with law enforcement officers around the country. And I know that uh, many people are going to be helped because of what you guys do. And I hope that uh, you're able to stay funded and get the, uh, you know, raise the funds uh, that you need to operate. I know you have a big event coming up later this year, right?
0: We do. It's uh, the Brothers in Blue Bash in Las Vegas. It's uh, October 17th, and we are uh, creating what I am calling the largest celebration of law enforcement unity and pride in America. And it is a benefit for the wounded blue. And the, the, so far, the um, response to this has been amazing. This is going to be an event like no other. Uh, we're, we've got a lot of things planned that will, just, that will move people. Uh, not only will they get a great dinner and entertainment and, and drinks and party it up, but they're also going to see some things that will move them and will touch them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're really excited about it. This is open to all law enforcement, current and former, as well as the people that support them, because I believe it's it is absolutely vital for those who support law enforcement to have an avenue to show it. Um, that was one of the that was one of the interesting things. When I same time, I'm getting all these horrendous communications from cops about the abuse that that they're facing. Uh, I'm also getting people, just normal citizens, saying, "Randy, I support the police, but I don't know how to show it. And I'd never had a way to, I'd never had a way to tell them to show it. Well, I do now. Support the wounded blue. Support the wounded blue. Become part of the solution, and then." come to the bash and show your support there.
1: And that's what we need. We need more people that are willing to be a part of the solution and not just out there bashing cops and and posting crazy things about cops. So how can people support your organization? Where can they go to uh, make a contribution?
0: The woundedblue.org. The woundedblue.org is our website. And um, uh, if if they want to participate in the Brothers in Blue Bash, um go to facebook brothers and blue bash we'll also have a link on our website here shortly we're completely changing our web our web design uh, within the next couple of weeks but we will have a link there too and if you want to sponsor the organization or, or or donate to it contact me randy at the woundedblue.org and i'll talk to you personally
1: and i'll put those links in the show notes so people can access Brave. them
0: directly yeah. that'd be awesome uh,
1: so a couple more questions what are what's and you may have touched this on this already, but what's one of the biggest life lessons you've learned uh, over the years?
0: One of the biggest life lessons I can I can tell you what that is. There is one component. Well, I, let me illustrate it with 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 a story. Uh, I was I, I to, I've had great leaders. I've had good leaders. I've had shitty leaders. I was very fortunate as a young patrol officer in Princeton to have a sergeant who I who I was one of the most efficient, effective, and true leaders that I ever met. When I knew him, uh, he only had a high school diploma, but I, I, but I respected what he did and what he said because I knew that he was competent, he was brave, I saw him in action, he'd face down anybody, he wasn't afraid of anything. But he but he was very effective in communications all anyway. He he was he was somebody I really looked up to, who I emulated. And I was a young cop. I had maybe two years on the job. And like I said, I was 19. So I'm out running and gunning. I saw the world in a very black and white viewpoint. So I wrote everybody a ticket or everybody went to jail. It was like it was. I was I, I had more arrests myself than the rest of the department put together, more <laughs> tickets. I was out there every single day. So one one night we're working graveyard shift, and my sergeant said uh, after work he says what well, let's go get breakfast. I said sure. So we go to this diner in New Jersey, and we're we're sitting there talking and having coffee, and I'm re- regaling him with the, my my events of the night. hey, I took this guy to jail. Yeah, yeah. And he's listening, he's nodding, he's, he's playing along. And then afterwards, he said to me, he said, Randy, I got to tell you, you really are a good cop. And I'm like, i like buffing up, you know, and he says, you really are. He says, you, you know the job, you know, search and seizure, you know, criminal law, you're out there working your ass off all the time. You're really a good cop. He says, but do you know the difference between being a good cop and being a great cop? And I was I was taken aback. I said, well, no. And he got the smile on his face and he said, it's one word, compassion. Mm-hmm. And that moment, that moment completely changed my philosophical approach to policing. He like turned on a light bulb. And that's the way I worked my career from that day forward, keeping that in mind. That's the sign of a great leader right there. He didn't cajole me. He didn't push me. He didn't insult me. He used his wisdom to grant me that wisdom. Wow, wow, that's uh, that's awesome.
1: So I make movies. You make movies. You've been in movies. And when a movie's made, the marketing people write a log line. Log line is that phrase or sentence that uh, describes the film. So when the movie about your life is made, what will the log line be?
0: oh boy wow that's a really good philosophical question i guess you know i think it's 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 a phrase that i I just hope i made a difference
1: well i think i think you are making a difference i know just from my friend here Locally, who's talking to one of your guys? She 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 sent me a text. She said, "This guy's a hero because she's going through some really dark times right now, and you are you've made a huge difference in her life you know, through your organization. And for that, for her sake, I, I say thank you. And and so much think, much appreciated. I think you are you are making a difference. So I want to say thank you." for that, for your commitment to law enforcement, to helping others. I think uh, that wisdom that, that that your sergeant or whoever that was back in Princeton gave to you or, or in Providence, uh, I think it's still with you today, that compassion. And uh, I can see it, I can, I can hear it. And I think that uh, what you're doing is necessary and I will do everything I can to uh, to help promote what you're doing, and to tell your story, and to uh, to let people know that there there are people out there that are helping others, helping law enforcement officers who are struggling. But I want to say thank you for being on the show today, and for your contribution to this, and for the work you're doing. Uh, you know, thank you for for all of that.
0: My pleasure, really is.
1: Thanks, Randy, for your story. I hope that together we can help make a difference in the lives of the men and women who put their lives on the line every day when they put on that uniform. Hey, if you enjoy these podcasts and think that more people should listen, I would heartily agree. So why don't you give me a review on Apple podcast, then share this episode with a friend. You can send it through a text message or an email or through a Facebook post and be sure to follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. The music on today's show is from my friend, Drew Davidson. You can get all of his music on iTunes or Spotify or at drewdavidson.com. Last, be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss an episode. And if you have an idea for an interview you'd like to hear, send me a message and I'll see what I can do. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next time on the My Story Podcast.